Chapter Sixteen of House, Garden, and Field by L. C. Meall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Natural History Clubs. I have belonged to many natural history clubs, but have found hardly any of them profitable. This must be my excuse for proposing changes which I know beforehand will be unwelcome to many brother naturalists. My first piece of advice to anybody who is thinking of founding a new club would be let no papers be read to the club. The zealous young naturalist's first notion is to turn over textbooks and encyclopedias until he has compiled what will take an hour to read. There may be profit in this to the reader, not very much, I fear, but upon the listeners the effect is melancholy beyond the power of words to describe. No assembly of free agents can be kept together on such terms. I will go a step further and add, let there be no lectures as a rule. Now and then, I admit, it may be stimulating to hear some naturalist of experience discourse, but even he is generally tedious. A third prohibition, if I can be listened to, after what I have already made bold to say, would be, let no local lists be prepared, read, or printed. They are hardly ever worth the paper they are printed on. We have maintained a useful, agreeable college natural history club for several years, without papers, lectures, or local lists. The members are simply invited to bring natural objects to show. They shortly explain them, draw illustrative pictures, and answer questions. Conversation is started, and goes on till the president thinks a change of subject desirable. Nobody rises to speak, except the exhibitor, who usually stands at the blackboard. Three or four objects fill the hour, and an hour or a little more is found to be enough. The discussion is preceded by a cup of tea and half an hour's chat. It is not thought good form to bring bought preparations. Living things, especially living plants, furnish a great part of our exhibits. No collections are displayed. No special value is attached to an object merely because it is rare. The members of this particular club have all qualified for admission by attending a course of biological instruction for at least a year. Except in colleges, the standard would be lower, or there would be no standard at all. It is indispensable that at least one competent naturalist, skilled in the use of the microscope, should be there to direct and explain. I will next mention a few natural objects which may profitably occupy the attention of a club of amateurs. A. Preparations illustrative of the structure of a green leaf. B. Mouth parts, antennae, compound eyes, tracheae, gizzards, feet, etc. of the commonest insects. C. The details of a feather. D. The mechanism of a bird's wing. E. Live tadpoles. F. Stages of the life histories of common insects dragonfly, bluebottle, tiger moth, etc. G. Pollen grains and pollen tubes. H. The flowers and capsules of a moss. I. The spores, spore cases, and prothalli of a fern. Diatoms, desmids, polycystina, etc. are generally tiresome and unprofitable, because they are not treated as living things, but as mere named patterns. I need hardly say that they become truly profitable when they are studied in the best way. Biological research will in general be found too hard for such a club. Natural history recreations of an instructive but by no means profound kind are all that most amateur clubs can wisely attempt. Those which succeed to this point thoroughly justify their existence. It is nearly always a mistake for an amateur club to print anything, even an annual report. Our college club asks only for a shilling subscription, which is entirely spent on refreshments. We have no constitution we have only two officers, and we never print a line. End of chapter 16